Good morning. The holidays are coming to an end, are they not? Some of you went back to work last week. Some of you are going back on Monday or next week. You know, there are people that are going to be dry, that are driving on the road at the moment. And they're heading home. And they're going to get home, get into bed, and get up and go to work in the morning. Oh, that would be terrible, wouldn't it? And then there are the teachers. The teachers. They've still got two more weeks. Oh, here we go. Oh, they do a lot of prep work and you have to go in early and set up. For, yeah, yeah, right. I know about teachers, let me tell you. Anyway, let's not get into that. Okay. Relying on God. We're going to look at Psalm 91 today. Now, why are we doing that? It's not really a series. We're not going to be studying the book of Psalms. We're just looking at three Psalms. Now, over the last few weeks, and I forgot to mention, the good thing about the holidays ending is that you won't be hearing from me next week <laughs> because you've got a different speaker. Thank goodness for that. But two weeks ago, we looked back, didn't we, 2.17, and boy, what a year it was. Busy, full of things to do. Last week, we looked at 2.18, the resolutions, didn't we? What is going to be happening this year? There's a lot of stuff happening this year. Already, the diary's filling up. I don't know about yours, but mine is. And so we were thinking, as as the eldership met, we were thinking, what can we do for the three weeks before we start our our proper teaching program? I'm telling you, I don't know how I made it through 270. I, I shared that with you. And I'm not sure how I'm going to get through 218 apart from this little thing up here, relying on God. And that's what the, the leaders, the eldership were thinking. We want to give you three psalms that will help you get through 218, help you live out your life as a believer, find the energy, the resources, the inspiration, the motivation to live out our vision here at Montmorency. Hopefully we can do that together with these three psalms. Thank you for reading that, Desi. I hope I'm pushing the right button. No, wrong button. This is the button. Okay. Relying on God. Easy thing to say. It's one of those cliche things. Rely on the Lord, Rav. He'll get you through. How does it work? How does it work? God will if I will. If I was putting a title on this psalm, that's what I would put on there. God will if I will. As Desi read through that psalm, I'm wondering if you noticed that there were two voices in that psalm. It wasn't just the psalmist. There was another person speaking in that psalm. So the two voices. And you know, there's lots of ways you can study things and divide things up and... That's how I'm going to do it today. Two voices. One voice is a testimony and the other voice is a promise. Good way to remember this psalm. Psalm 90, the one before it, starts a section of psalms which I remember a few years ago our brother Rob Freeman 
went through a series on Psalms. He told us why they were divided up. I'm not going to be doing that today. But Psalm 90 starts off book four of the Psalms, and, and it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. That's the, the title. And it talks about the difficulties of life. He'd know about that. <laughs> you know, if you read about Moses, he'd know about how hard, how hard it is to be a father, a leader, you know, a religious man, a husband, you know, have high, have all the expectations of people on his shoulders. But then you get to Psalm 91 and there's no, no author. Have you noticed that? I hope your Bible's as good as mine, where it says, it, 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 there's, no, there's no author. Psalm 91 gets straight into verse 1. I wonder why that is. You know, and, and you know, Bible scholars are thinking, oh, who, who wrote this? You know, I mean, David wrote most of the Psalms, but not all. Moses wrote a big chunk, but, you know, maybe he didn't write this one. There was a few other individuals. I don't know why we have to do that. I love the fact that there's no author here. And I love the fact that this psalm is for you and me today. Even though when you read it, it, it looks like it was written a long time ago and it's a talking about something that happened a long time ago. It's for you and me today. Why is that? Well, as Sam mentioned, there's lots of troubles and, and difficulties and dangers in our, in our society today. Terrorist attacks. You can't even go shopping without worrying about a revving engine these days. Isn't that true? You worry about that. Deadly diseases, shootings, drugs affect us all. Everyone. Everyone's affected by that. People are worried about getting their houses broken into. People have family members who are, who are enslaved by, by drug addiction. Then there are the people who are concerned about the home invasion. Most of that's drug fueled as well. We don't feel safe anymore. I saw a little interesting thing on, on uh, Facebook the other day. Home security in the 60s. A little latch on the door, it went like that. <laughs> Home security, 2016. You know, technology, cameras, you know, screens and shutters and, you know, machine... No, there was no machine guns out the front. But we're getting to that point and we laugh about it, but it's true. We live in... Very similar times, I think, that when this psalm was written. And the scene and the, and the picture that this psalm gives us is a, of a dangerous life, doesn't it? A life that's full of peril and, and concern and, 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 you know, your life's under threat all the time practically when you read this psalm. That, could, that is us today in Australia, in Melbourne. Two voices, a testimony and a promise. Psalm 91 tells you that a person who believes in God will not escape trouble, unknown perils completely. We can't. You know that's true. Before I came to Monty, just before we left Pasco Vale, our house was broken into. Terrible feeling to have your house broken into. 
affected my family. I, we, were, we were leaving. We, we, we had just about sold. I had to get a, a, a burglar alarm put on the house for the very first time. We were there for 21 years. Never had a burglar alarm before. Just so my wife and my two girls felt safe sleeping at night. That's terrible. That was 20, over 20 years ago. It's worse now. So we can't escape uh, the perils all the time, but the consequences of evil and danger can be minimised for a believer. How? Walking with the Lord, relying on him, helps us to detect and avoid issues that we've been talking about. For example, a parent, a father or a mother will keep telling their kid, don't do this, don't go there, get off that, put that away, you know. Don't, don't touch the knives, you know. Why do they do that? The kids probably think we're being a pain. But you do it because you love them. You want to, you can see the danger. You know what will happen if they reach for that saucepan on the stove. And so you say, don't touch that. Don't do this. Go and play over there. This is what this is what this psalm's about. Two voices in the psalm, a testimony and a praise and praise. The first voice, verse one. Have a look at I hope you have the Bible open. Look at verse one, the Bible, in your Bible there. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This is a testimony from the right, whoever he was. If it was Moses, he had a tough life. If it was David, he had an interesting and tough and, and dangerous life as well. But it's this writer is saying, he is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God. When I read that verse, I immediately think of Doubting Thomas. You know, Doubting Thomas was with the Lord for three and a half years, saw the miracles and the, the healings and he heard the great teaching. He heard voices from the heavens opening up and, and God speaking from, from heaven. And yet it, it took him three and a half years before he could say, my God, my Lord. You know, we, we, we might, I've often said we poke fun at poor old Thomas. He was a great man of God. He believed and he embraced Jesus Christ as his God and his Saviour. The question this morning is, is this your testimony? Is this your testimony? Can you say, he's my refuge, he's my God and my fortress? Because that's the position the position that this writer of the Psalms is in. Where is he? Well, he's there. Anyone know where that is? Oh, come on, you should know. A lot of people travel here. Paul and I went to that place about three years ago, really exotic place, you know, it took us ages to get there. It's the breakwater at Wollongong. Yeah, I know, exotic, isn't it? Uh, they're, they're not my photos because we didn't really take the right sort of... But that's the breakwater, the lighthouse at, at Breakwater Head in Wollongong. Up on the screen there you'll see the big waves. You know big waves that are hitting that lighthouse? That's the Pacific Ocean. 
The Pacific Ocean is the biggest ocean in the world. It's the deepest ocean in the world. And that's, that's what's hitting the breakwater. But on this side, in the foreground of the picture, what do you see? It's calm, isn't it? When I was at Wollongong, that's a, that's a coloured, colourised version of it. When I was at Wollongong, I'd like you to see the, the scale there, the people that were in it too. But that's the breakwater from way at the back. You see that track that leads up there? It doesn't look very big, but it's, the walls are huge. They've got these huge concrete, well, not boulders, but things that they put on. They just haphazardly put it. And you get little, little windows looking out into the Pacific Ocean and then looking out into the cove, into, into, the, into the little bay. And when we went up there and had a look, you know, I was looking and I looked out there. Out there there was some, some um, tankers going through. It wasn't quite as calm as that. It was quite rough. And there was little waves. It wasn't as, as, as rough as the first shot I showed you, but it was rough. And you wouldn't have swam there. In fact, I, I climbed up and had a look. I didn't think, oh, if I fall, I'm, I'm a goner. But when I looked to the right of that breakwater... Now, there were little kitties swimming in the water, little kitties, and playing on the, on the foreshore in the sand, you know, with their buckets and their spades. And there were people just, you know, walking in the shallows there. It was dead calm. That's what it means to be sheltered. That's what it means to be sheltered. The Hebrew word for, that's used here, because you know the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, the Hebrew language. I'm not big into language, but I looked up the word. The word actually means, literally means, I should say, cove. That's what it means. Cove, a secret hiding place, and it's mainly used, or, or, or usually used, in a military sense, where an army finds some shelter from the enemy, a safe place. A safe place. The breakwater at Wollongong. And so that's the position. What does this writer tell us? He says that he dwells in the shelter of the Most High. What does dwell mean? Dwell is not an overnight stay. It's not. It's not even a couple of days. The definition of dwell is to live or stay as a permanent residence. That's the dictionary definition. It also can mean to live or continue in a given condition or state. So the psalmist is testifying to you, telling you and me this morning, that he, he, he shelters, he lives permanently in this position, this condition. And what is it? A place of rest. That's what he says. What does rest mean? You must get sick of me telling you. <laughs> no. But what does rest mean? I mean, it's really interesting. I, I, I think of this man very often when I, when I do this, you know. Jack Pratt, if anyone knows him, great man. Gone with home with the Lord. But rest means relief or freedom, especially from anything that wearies, troubles or disturbs. 
And in the Hebrew, the word also has the idea of a, of a, of a, a wall, a fortified wall or a, or a castle or a fortress. That's what it means. Okay, what about the next word? Shadow. Have a look what he said. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's, that's part of that position that he's in. What does shadow mean? Shadow indicates nearness to the substance that causes the shadow. What does that mean? A couple of weeks ago, little Marley, she's not here this morning, my little granddaughter was at our house, out the back, and we've got a, a, conc- a paved concrete area out the back, and the sun was shining, and, and this is what she was doing. She, she was looking at her shadow, you know, and she was trying to, you know, yeah, little, I love watching little kids do things like that. But where was her shadow? Where was it? Where did it start? The very tip of her toes. That's where the shadow starts. Yeah? You can't have a shadow without an object. So how close was the shadow to little Marley? This far. You can't be in a shadow unless you're very, very close to the object. Have you got the picture? Have you got the picture of what it's saying here? Charles Spurgeon says this. The blessings are promised not for all believers, but for those who live in close fellowship with God. That's interesting, isn't it? I'll read it to you again. The blessings that are referred to in this psalm are not for all believers. How is that? Why is that? What is he trying to say? You know what he's trying to say? Very, I'm a simple man. I love putting things simply. It's only for the dwellers. Have you got that? Does that is that clear? That's what he's saying. What is the psalmist t- telling you? His testimony is, I dwell and whoever dwells is in the, in the shelter of the Lord will find those things. And God... God gives this psalm to you and me this morning. So that's the position. Oh, hang on. The position. The protected life goes on to talk about um, different different aspects of it from verses 3 to 13. And, that, and that's the experience from the writer. And it starts off in verse 3 with the word, Surely, surely. You know what I'm going to ask you now. What does surely mean? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, you know, when you start look at the, like, looking at Scripture like this, it really impacts you because you know what surely means? Without fail. Inevitable. So you could read that verse, not surely, because well, sometimes the way we say it, you think, oh, maybe. It doesn't mean that. It says here, without fail, he will save you. How's that? That's a bit more impactful, isn't it? Surely. Next time you use that word, you think about it. Mm. But that's not what I want to highlight in, the, in, in that passage, in that section from 3 to 13. It's the 10 U's. Y-O-U. 
So now this, this man, I'm assuming it's a man, this person who wrote the psalm, who's testifying to you about his experience, he's, he's relating it to who? To you. The truths in this psalm are not historical, just for the past. They're for the present. They're for today, for you and me, for 2.18. They're for each individual believer who dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. And what does it say? If you're in the same position, it says, verse 3, he will save you. Without fail. Without fail, he'll save you. Without fail, verse 4, he'll cover you. Verse 5, without fail, don't be of any, don't be concerned, don't, have no fear. And verse 8, without fail, you will see, you'll observe the justice of God. So you have security and you have assurance and you have security when you're in that position. How, how important is it to be in that position that, that the psalmist says in verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Lord, of the Most High? Well, it's important enough for him to repeat it. Verse 9, what does it say? It says here, if you, so it's no longer him talking about himself, he says, if you, Raph, Make the Most High your dwelling place. Even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. Isn't that a brilliant verse? I love that. All of a sudden, the things that we think, oh, gee, that that man must have had, or I keep saying now, I'm assuming it's a man. That person must have had a real close relationship and he's very special. You know, Moses was a very... And if it was David, he's very special too. But we don't know who it is, do we? It's an unknown author. But he's making it clear that I don't make that mistake thinking that. He's saying, if you, if you do this, that's not just reinforcement. That's the first condition to be able to experience those blessings that he has told us in the psalm. The first condition. You see, this is not merely for those who say they're Christians, go to church occasionally, read their Bible from time to time. Remember what Charles Spurgeon said? It's not for all believers. Resting in God continually trusting in him at all times is what is envisaged here. And the second condition is found in verse 14. Verse 14 marks the start of the second voice. This is not the psalmist speaking. Who is it speaking? Listen to what it says. Because he loves me, says the Lord. Oh, that's interesting. A second voice. What was the first voice? A voice of testimony. What's this one? A voice of promise. I wonder if we've met this condition, this, um, this condition 
that it's talking about. Because he loves me. That's that's an interesting phrase, right? Because it's written to the Hebrews. What did they know about that? What does it mean to them? As an aside, I'm going to take a moment just to give you this little thing which I found fascinating when it was pointed out to me. When the Hebrews say they love God, this is what they mean. Ten commandments. That's what they mean. When you go home this afternoon, if you go, after you've had your nap and you get up, have a look at those ten commandments and see where it says that they have to love God. Have a look. Of course it's there, Raph. It's not. Have a look. It doesn't say they have to love God. There's, love's only mentioned once in the Ten Commandments. And that's about God loving somebody. Nothing about them loving God. But when they asked the Lord, or when the Lord asked, what is the greatest commandment? What did they say? Love God. With all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And love your neighbour as yourself. So, love isn't an emotion for the children of God. It's not even an attitude. How does God see that love? By the obedience. By the keeping of that commandment. How do I know that's true? It tells me that in John 14. The Lord himself says, if, if you keep the commandments, this is how we know, God and I know, our Father and I know that, I, that you love us. It's interesting, isn't it? Anyway, that's an aside. I, I, love, I love this little passage of scripture because it reminds me of, of the two other passages in Exodus. One of the other ways you can look at a, uh, the scriptures and, and study the scriptures is find little titles. That's what I was taught. This comes under my title of the I Will God because chapter 3 of Exodus is, the, is about the I Will God. And after you've looked at Exodus, uh, the, the commandments, have a look at chapter 3 of Exodus and chapter 6 of Exodus. The I Will God. That's my God. That's the psalmist's God. I hope he's your God. Have a read, have a look at what sort of a God we claim we trust and believe in. Anyway, let's just concentrate on verse 14. What does God say? He says, because he loves me, said the Lord, I will rescue him. I will rescue him. What does that mean? It doesn't mean I have rescued him. Have you noticed that? It doesn't say that. I will rescue. That's future, isn't it? I will rescue him. It's for future events. He's rescued in the past. So we've, we pointed that out a few weeks ago, didn't we? He's done it in the past so we can have confidence he, he'll do it again. And that's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, you know, you know, God, God got me through those tough times in the past. And he says, he, he categorically says, I have confidence he's going to sustain me and get me through the other tough times up ahead. Paul was expecting and relying on God. And then he says, I will protect him. You notice that he's not assigning angels 
No, no, he's saying, I will. God himself. I will protect him. That's in reference to the exalted position. The protection comes because of our position, who we are. Who are we? The children of God. The children of God. In John 17, the Lord himself prays to his Father. He requests from his Father protection for you and me. Do you know that? That's what he asks. The Lord knew we would be going through difficult times and dangerous times and perilous times and hard times and sad times and grieving times. He knew all that. And he prayed, he asked for his father, from his father, for protection for you and me. And what do you think God said? Oh, think about it. No. The next one. I will answer him. I will answer him. We all call out to God in distress, don't we? When we're in trouble, difficult situation, in doubt. Brothers and sisters, let's call out, let's ask him and, 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 and request from him for guidance, for solace, for assurance, for succour, for, for wisdom, for patience, for compassion, whatever it is that we need. And what does he say? I will answer. I love that. Because in the New Testament it says, if I earnestly seek. What does that word mean? Fair income. If your fair income want to know something from God, if you are requesting something from God, he will, what? Help you find it. The answers. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says that our God does not have a dull ear. That means he, he's not deaf like me. He hasn't got hearing aids. He hears and he answers. So it's great to hear that he hears. But how, how beautiful is it when you get a response from somebody? Hmm? What does it feel like when you know people have heard and it seems like they ignore you? Hmm? Not our God. Not the psalmist's God, not my God. What about your God? This is a good one. He says, I will be with him in trouble. God has never promised, even the Lord when he was on earth, he did not say he was going to protect us from trouble or hard times or difficult times, or sad times. He never promised that. What he did promise was that he'd think about us and... No. What he promised was that he would be with us, side by side, right there, alongside in the troubled times. There's a picture... In, in the Old Testament of Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, I'm not sure how to say the other one. I used to always say Abednego, but I know there's different ways of saying it. 
when they were thrown into the furnace, I'm sure Daniel was praying for them. And I'm sure Daniel was thinking about them. And I'm sure Daniel's heart was was grieving and, and, and in turmoil about his friends being thrown into this furnace. But what did Daniel actually do for those three friends of his? But there was a fourth figure in the furnace, right there in the heat with the three friends. Think about that. You know, I'm guilty of this, and I don't mean it in a glib way. When people tell me, oh, you know, Rafa, I'm going to see the doctor on Tuesday and you know, I have to get some tests done. I'm really anxious about such and such. I say, I'll pray for you. And I do, I do. And sometimes I say, I'll be thinking of you. And sometimes I even send them a text on the day to let them know that I'm thinking and praying for them. I hope that brings comfort. How much better would it be if they said to me, Rav, I went and had some tests, I'm getting the results for that, those scans on Monday. How much better would it be if I say, what time I'm going to go, I'm going to come with you, I'm going to sit there with you. That's what this verse means. That's what it means. I will be with you. What a great God. Hang on, but there's more. Wait, there's more. I will deliver him and honour him. In troubled times, that's what we look for. We look for deliverance. We look for help. But it doesn't actually mean deliver from. This word in the Hebrew means to to make ready, to equip, to del, uh, to to, uh, to to make re- uh, ready, equip, complete. That's the other word. There it is. And it's a little bit about what we spoke about when we looked at the armor of God. God gives us the the necessary things that we need, and He honors us with a title. Our, that we are, we are the children of God. He honours us by calling us joint heirs with Christ, co-rulers. He honours you and me by telling us that we are the bride of Christ and all those honours come with a protection, with a privilege, with a very special place in God's heart. And then the climax I will show him my salvation. The climax of the promises, the assurance of our salvation. You know, when the JWs knock my door, and they don't do it very much because they've got got it knocked in their book, don't go to number 12 Olympic Avenue, but that always gets to them. They, they, they They get mad at me because I tell them I'm saved. I have a place in heaven. How can you be sure? And I tell them how I can be sure. No, 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 that's not how you do it. You gotta do it. No. No, you don't have to do anything else. You know, they don't like me for that. And then, and then, um, the fact that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, a little part of God, a little piece of God. This is, this is incredible when you think about it. The Spirit of God dwells in me 
and in you. Brothers and sisters, it just rolls off the tongue. That is amazing. Not everyone has that. Are you aware of that? Most people don't have that. That's what God does for you and me. That's what the Lord said, didn't he? He says, if I go away, my Father will send the Comforter to you. I'm going to do exactly what the uh, the, the, the um, psalmist did. Relying on God. We need peace, we need hope, we need assurance, we need security. We need to feel those things, we need to experience those things. They're not going to come from our politicians, no matter how much we pray for them. They, they won't come from your church leaders as much as we try to help. It can only come from God. Those who experience these blessings the most are those most in the presence of God. That's what someone else wrote. That's a bit hard to remember, isn't it? So I'm going to ask you to do this. Go back to verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High... Just remember that. Remember that that breakwater. Remember that cove. Remember that you claim to believe in the I will God. Rely on him. He is able. That's what I'm going to leave you with this, 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 uh, this morning. He who dwells in the shelter of the Almighty. I hope it's you. I really do. Thank you.